Um, I'm gonna, uh, I'm not gonna speak for very long this morning. I'm gonna end the service the same way as we ended last week. Um, if you weren't here last week, let me uh, remind you we were preaching from uh, the book of Acts, and we hit predictably like Acts chapter two, which is always where I'm gonna land. If that's if that's available to preach from, that's where I'm gonna preach from because there's this incredible picture of the church. Of, of what they devoted themselves to and what God did through them. And so what we talked about last week was how, you know, sometimes we overcomplicate the Christian life and it's all about these different things and programs and strategies and, and whatever. Uh, but we see the first group of Christians just like got devoted to, to some simple things. They devote themselves to four things, as I said, next to, to the apostles' teaching, like to the word of God, to, to breaking of, of bread, uh, like communion, which we're going to finish by sharing, to fellowship, which we looked at was this word koinonia, which is actually the same word that's translated as communion later on. The way that we have communion with God, they devoted themselves to communion with, with one another to intentionally causing their lives to overlap. Like it was a devotion and intention of how they aligned their behavior. It's like, like I understand that I'm one with you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote myself to you. Um, and to prayer. So what we did last week after speaking uh, for a while, after like looking at the word of God, that first devotion, we like combined the other three devotions by sharing in the Lord's Supper together and praying, but praying for one another, praying for one another's needs, being united together. And I'd like us to finish that way again this week, because this should be a space where we don't just talk about this stuff and we did it, yeah, but we do it. Like if you, came, if you came along to a concert this morning and were waiting to hear somebody sing all their hits and instead they just got up and they talked about them and didn't sing them, you'd be like, I want my money back, yeah? But, but like church shouldn't be just a place where we come and we talk about this stuff, but a place where we exhibit it and a place where it expands beyond, beyond this. But certainly it should be here in these moments. So we want to finish by doing that again, by breaking bread together. Um, by praying for one another, for each other's needs, just as we're here. Um, and by praying specifically for Andy and Mags um, and Isabel this morning, uh, praying for Lynn's family. You know, we had Lynn's funeral this week. Um, and we got to see Lynn, Lynn home to the Lord, no doubt whatsoever in my heart, as Lynn had no doubt whatsoever in her heart that she got to go and be with the Lord. Uh, but then there's very real emotions left behind for Jean and for Becky and for Sophie and for all of the family. And so we pray for them because, because they're us, yeah? We pray for one another because, you know, it, 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 this stuff matters to us. And I'm going to preach this morning and, and preaching on from, um, we read Acts kind of 2 to 4, 2 to 5 last week. And this week we're in 5 to 9. And can I say, I was kind of encouraged this week reading Acts 5 to 9, even though were, they were tough chapters. Acts 2, right on, if you were just to look at that, it would look like the church is always going to be this miraculous, incredible place. You know, Acts 2, Peter gets up and 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. We look on, like in the chapters that follow, Peter used to walk around, it says in the times after this, and people would like, people would like line the streets waiting for him to touch them, like they would for Jesus, so that they'd be healed. They said like they'd even like try and get them into the, the corners of the streets so that his shadow, if it would pass over them, they would, be, they would be healed. Like incredible stuff was happening like left, right and center. Uh, you see at one point uh, the apostles are like warned, look you need to stop preaching about Jesus, right? And just they respond in like boldness and courage and they're like, like they're effectively saying, look, we've seen this guy raised from the dead. He's proved himself to be the king of the universe. They're like, who, who are we going to listen to, him or, or listen to you? We can't, we can't stop preaching. And they're, uh, they're arrested and they're put in prison. But then an angel comes. And it just says it like very matter-of-factly, right? It's like one verse there in the middle of a, it's like Acts 4 or 5. It's like, and an angel came and released them from prison. 
right? Like, like, like they were released and they were like, they were bold as lions and the church just seems like invincible. It even says this at the end of, uh, of uh, chapter, at the beginning of chapter 6, it says that even some of the priests became believers. And uh, some of the priests of like the Jewish priests became believers and Patrice told me as she was reading that with Penny, Penny went, yes! Like she was like, she remembered in Luke that these are the people who are against Jesus. These are the people who, who like were involved in like getting Jesus crucified and some of them even become believers and so you have this picture of a church that's like unstoppable invincible like like nothing's going wrong everything they do is being blessed people are being added people are being healed the miraculous happens and then in acts chapter 5 uh things just get tough and uh and if i'm honest it was uh it was encouraging to see things get tough because if all we had was this picture of an incredible thing and then we have this experience that we go through where stuff is tough we'd have this big disconnect of like well what's that all about that's nothing got to do with us but we see the church go through some tough times and uh and my major takeaway in reading acts chapter 5 to 9 is like the church was all over the place in 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 that section and that's so encouraging to me because at times i feel like as a church we're all over the place yeah but uh but god knows what he's doing and the beauty of it the beauty of god adding that to scripture of luke writing those things down is that we get to look on in hindsight and we get to see how it wasn't just the big miraculous things that we all sign up for and the things that we'd want to happen, things we'd love to see happening in Bray and in Dublin. It's not just those things that built God's church, but we look back in hindsight and we see even the, the terrible things, the depressing things, the outright like unjust and horrible things that happened to the church were still be used by God for his plans and his purposes in the world. We get like the benefit of that hindsight of looking back. And what's the point of that? That we know that right in the middle of what we're at, that we, can, that we one day will look back in hindsight and see God's hand was in this. God's, God was with us in, in the middle of it all. But let me expand on, on some of that a bit. Um, we're in, uh, in Acts chapter 5 and, uh, and we see so the, the apostles are out preaching again and, uh, and they're warned not to preach. And this time like an angel doesn't appear and saves them. Instead they're, they're battered, they're bet by people. But, uh, but they had this perspective we'll look at even when they were battered that, that, uh, that, that, that was incredible. Um, and then we see that uh, we see that 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 just some strange stuff happens, and and what I took from it as I was reading it was that is that we need to learn to be uncomfortable or learn to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. Yeah, that the only predictable thing that happened in the book of Acts was that God worked all of those things together for for what He was trying to do. Everything else was completely unpredictable it wasn't it wasn't like stuff that you would make up or stuff that you would really want to add to the book you know the whole Ananias and Sapphira thing like what is that all what is that all about like these people come and give an offering and pretended that they had less to give than they gave and they were struck down dead and it's like there's this there's this like crazy stuff going on um and the consistent theme through it is that this thing called the church emerged in ways that the humans just couldn't have planned and that even if we could have planned we wouldn't have planned it because it involved it involves it involved their suffering, and what I really want to look at this morning is uh, is suffering. I want to I want to talk about it um, because we're going through a time of uh, of suffering as a church, <coughs> with Andy and Mags and Terry is in hospital sick. Um, I talked to Reuben like just last week briefly after the end of church, and and Reuben was like, Rob, if you look back like six months or something, and you just mark like everybody who's like lost somebody who they've loved, yeah. Everybody like who's gone through something like relationship or everything. It's just like there's been like this this thing after thing after thing where people are being knocked back, where people are being like barraged like by the enemy. And uh, and even if that hasn't been you, yeah, you should feel that this morning because if it hasn't been you, it's been the person beside you. And what does the Bible tell you that you're you're one with them 
yeah, that, that, that we're meant to feel this stuff together and process it together. And so I want to look at, at suffering this morning and, and in particular in the life of, of Stephen. Um, I hope you've been reading along with me because I'm not going to read the big portions of scripture. I'm assuming you already know this story, yeah, because we're, we're reading it one chapter a day. I'll hit into bits and pieces of it. But, um, but we hear the story of, uh, of Stephen. And Stephen was one of these guys, right? So the apostles are getting busy and uh, they start to add some structure and leadership to the church. And they pick some guys, Stephen, another guy called Philip, other guys we don't hear about after. But they picked like seven of them, I think. And they, they gave them this job, like administrative jobs. But before long, you see Stephen like emerging as a leader. He was given a job of like administration to do. But then it says like the Holy Spirit was on him and many signs and wonders were being done through him. And, uh, and it's this incredible, this incredible picture of like what happens when, when the Holy Spirit anoints someone. And then Stephen finds himself preaching in front of a crowd of people. And when I read this, this is in Acts 7, right? I can't help but parallel it back to Acts 2, which we read like a week ago, where Peter preaches in front of a crowd of people, right? So in Acts 2, you've got Peter preaching. Acts 7, you've got Stephen preaching. And in Acts 2, Peter preaches, and people are, it says they're amazed, yeah? In Acts 7, Stephen preaches, and people, like, reject him. Instead, in Acts 2, Peter preaches and says people were like cut to the heart. That somehow like in their hearts, like they just knew this stuff was true. In Acts 7, you see the opposite happening. You see Stephen preaching and it says, instead, people like put their hands over their ears and shouted really loud so they couldn't hear what he was going to say. They actually like wanted to like blurt him out. In Acts 2, Peter preaches and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. In Acts 7, Stephen preaches and, uh, and people begin to pick up rocks and heavy stones and throw them at him, and keep throwing them at him, until they murder him, and he dies, and I'm like, what, like, surely we should have just had a repeat of Acts 2, yeah, surely we should have just had Stephen preached, and then another 3,000 people were added to the Lord, and, and here's how it was going to go, and, and in the middle of it, you see that, that Stephen, uh, Stephen looks up, and he sees, uh, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he looks up to heaven, and he sees the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And if I'm honest, right, as I read that, I'd read it before. And, you know, but reading it in context of the story, you're like, oh, man. So I preached last week and I'm like, I'm like, we all want what we see in Acts 2, yeah? But how many of us would put our hands above and said, now we all want what we see in Acts 7, yeah? We all, like, we all, like, but if we do that with Acts 2, then, then why don't we do it with Acts 7? I just had massive questions around it I, like one of my questions is like Stephen looks up and he sees Jesus and and I get I get in hindsight and I'll explain like what the benefit of that was but there was a bit of me at the time is like well what use is seeing Jesus up there like Jesus do do something about it do you know what I mean why was why was we read later on in 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 in, in nine or ten is it where 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 Peter goes and he heals this woman raised this woman Dorcas from the dead well, why, why didn't he just raise Stephen from the dead why why does one thing happen one way and another happens another way? Why, I don't, why, do, why do some people live long, happy lives and other people are, are like riddled by cancer and, and die? Why does misfortune visit some people's doors in like disproportionate ways to other people? And the honest answer is, uh, is I, don't, I don't really know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that is. But like I opened by saying, we have the benefit of hindsight in this of looking back and seeing that even in all of it, God still used it for what he was going to do. And, and Stephen looking up and seeing Jesus there is like Jesus saying, look, I'm with you in the middle of this thing. I'm with you in it. And he must have looked up and seen, that's the Jesus that was raised from the dead. If I'm facing death, well, guess what's going to happen to me? I'm going to, be, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And 
Sometimes we pray, guys, and God ends like our suffering. Other times we pray and God is just with us in the middle of our suffering. And we just have to know that there's a bigger purpose to it. And that, that sounds like, like, is that a comfort? Is that a comfort of just knowing that my suffering produces something? Well, well yeah, it is. In fact, it's the only, it's the only comfort. It's the, real, it's the only comfort there is. Otherwise, what's the point? Suffering comes to all our doors. And what's, what's the point of going through it? Unless we know that even in those things... God is at work. Even in those things, God is present. Even in those things, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Even in those things, Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit, meaning Jesus isn't distant. Jesus is, is in him, is with him, is right there in the middle. That God answers with his presence. One thing we see in Acts is that God's at work in it all. And the writer of Acts, Luke, introduces us right at the end of Stephen's story. He says there was a young man there called Saul. And people laid their coats at, the, at his feet and he approved of the murder. We know the story as we read on. We're going to read this week that Saul becomes Paul. That Saul becomes the person who, who goes and begins to take the gospel like to the ends of the earth. But, but the seeds of that were sown in the moment. Berminer shared like in the, in the, in the Bible like group on Facebook this week. What if it was Stephen's prayer in the middle of that? We're going to look at it in a minute. Stephen prayed like, Father, forgive him. What if it was that prayer that ignited what happened in Saul's life? And I believe it probably was that, that, that God answers that prayer in that moment. We see straight after the story of Stephen that Philip, one of the other administrator guys, Saul starts to like kill the church, right? He starts to go after the church and he's, he's imprisoning people and he goes and looks for authority. It's like the, the death of Stephen in the moment like sparked them up to, I'm going to get these, these Christ followers, I'm going to go after them. And, uh, and so they're all persecuted. And what are we told? We're told straight away that one of them called Philip, he goes to Samaria. And as soon as he gets to Samaria, people start to give their lives to Jesus. And we're meant to have, guys, the words of Jesus echoing in our ears, some of his final ears, where he says, like, you're going to be clothed with power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes. And what's going to happen? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, which surrounded Jerusalem. And then what's the next place he says? In Samaria, which is where Philip ends up. And then to the ends of the earth, which is where Paul brings the gospel to, to, the, to, the, to the rest of the, of the known world at that time. And uh, it's just amazing to see this, this, this moment of, like, despair, of struggle, as a leader, I was like, I was like, man, imagine what Peter and the guys were thinking. Like, we just we put this guy Stephen into a position, and now he's been, and now he's been murdered. Like, did we do the right thing? Did we? Like, was he ready for it? Is what? Like, imagine just we read over those things, right? And we just think, oh man, they they just got it straight away, or or whatever. We just read lines, but, but like, put yourself there. Like, we're in the middle of something this week with Andy and Mags, with with Lynn, with Terry, with stuff going on. Like, when you're in the middle of it, put yourself there, and you have those real questions you have those those real doubts but the beauty of having the scripture is that we get to have some answers in the middle of it and uh i want to be careful to represent god right in all of this because it could sound like i'm saying god has this thing he wants to do and he just uses us as pawns in the middle of it you know like he doesn't care it's like god killed stephen so that the gospel will 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 expand that's not that's not what i'm saying what i am saying is that is that is that god uses our suffering God uses our things to, uh, to move on his will. He uses those things to, uh, to, uh, to expand his kingdom. That he can take not just the good things, not just the successes, but he can take the failures and the struggles and the real hardships of life and use them for your good and use them for, for his glory. And, uh, and he invites us into that. And I, I know that's not something we often talk about um, 
If I was to give you an invitation to follow Jesus this morning, it would probably look something like, come and follow Jesus, have your sins forgiven, peace of mind, peace of heart, all, all, all true, yeah? When Jesus called people to follow him, he says, you're, you're going to have to pick up a cross to follow me. You're going to have to count the cost. And, and then somehow these guys were able to, uh, to push into... Uh, to push into to opposition with a, different, with a different level of faith than I think we have in the West because we don't really face persecution as a church here. I was watching a documentary on, do you know that Christianity is like in Iran, is like one of the fastest growing Christian nations in the world. Underground, you won't hear about it on, on whatever, on social media or whatever because people have to be underground. I watched this documentary with people with their voices changed and their, their faces blurted out and, and stuff that broke my heart but like encouraged me incredibly where it was like, People like becoming Christians and it's not just like, I'm going to become a Christian and everything be great and I'll go to church. It's like becoming Christian knowing that they'll probably likely be killed for becoming Christians. One woman, Sharon, um, she's like, if I'm found out to be a Christian, I know that here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be raped and then I'm going to be murdered. And she says, but the Bible's called me to offer my body as a living sacrifice for the Lord. And I'm like, Rob, you wanted to give up on this thing because like, your car broke down or, or, or like because like somebody said something about you and here's people putting their lives on the line where it matters people being persecuted for being Christians around the world and I think because we're not in that space of persecution that space of understanding it then when just the normal stuff of life even happens to us instead of us understanding what's happening to us in the context of the battle that we're in we, we, we think it's evidence of God doesn't love me or God's not interested, God isn't who I thought he was, God is, is like distant, or we distance ourselves from him. And uh, we take those tough times as evidence that God doesn't care, but the early church had a different perspective. Mal, you put up the next slide, right? I told you the apostles were, were beaten in Acts chapter 5. Um, and it says they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And then they didn't give up on what they were doing, what they just got bet for. Day after day, they went to the temple courts and house to house, and they never stopped teaching and proclaiming what, uh, what Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. That, that they left the place rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Lord, help us to have that perspective. Acts 7, when Stephen was being stoned, like right while they were stoning him, while rocks are being pelted off his head and his body, while he is being murdered in the middle of it, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Like right in the middle of it, Stephen's response is grace. And Stephen's response is, is uh, is hope. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Do you, do you get that again? We're meant to hear the words of Jesus being echoed there, yeah? We're meant to hear the words of Jesus on the cross. Into, my hands I commit, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He's pointing back to, to Jesus. And what does that tell us in our suffering? It tells us that, see, why did these people have a different perspective on suffering? Because they got that that's what they were signing up for. See, they were, they were signing up to follow the crucified Messiah. They were signing up to follow the Jesus who, 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 who they'd heard had been beaten and tortured and who told them to pick up their cross and follow. They'd signed up for that. 
they'd signed up to be persecuted. They'd have sat under the apostles' teaching and remembered them telling them, like Jesus sat us down on a mountainside one day and he said to us, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. When people accuse you and say vile things and slander about you, rejoice and be glad in that day because they said the same things about the prophets who came before you. They remembered that this is actually what we've signed up to. They understood that this world is a place of suffering and our suffering can be pointless or if we're aligned with God, our suffering, perhaps especially our suffering, can be the way that brings about his plans for us. They they understood, guys, that when they became followers of Jesus, they weren't just like signing up for their sins to to be forgiven. Yeah? It wasn't just a message of that, but that they were aligning themselves with with a new king. And to be aligned with the new king means you're rejecting the old king. The Bible tells us that, 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 that there's, there's powers and principalities over this world that aren't aligned with God. And, and, and outside of Jesus, we're aligned with them. Yeah, but we're enemies of God. That's not a place you want to be. But when we, when we step into Jesus, we become friends of God. We become adopted into God's family. But we become enemies to, to the world. We become enemies to the powers and, and principalities. And their confession in the lordship of Jesus, it was like, it's like it's their recruitment into an invading army that's taken the kingdoms of the earth for, for the kingdom of God. They understood that they'd stepped up to, to a battle. What I'm trying to say is, uh, don't be surprised when life feels like a battle, because it is. Don't, don't, don't be full of doubt and fear when life feels like a battle, because we've been told that it is, but that the battle belongs to the Lord, Yeah? Don't be surprised when you feel like, like everything is coming against you. It is coming against you. You've, you've stepped up onto a battle line. Jesus, when he talked about the enemy, he says that the enemy comes to what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. How many of us have faced loss, have faced death, have faced hurt? It's because the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus comes that we have life and life in all of its fullness. I mean, church, we have, this, uh, we have this crazy assurance. We have this, this hope. Um, and hear this, that no matter what we're facing into, Jesus will have the ultimate victory. No matter what it is that we're facing into, we're signed up to the winning side. And, and hear this because it's important. That doesn't mean that we don't face suffering. But it does change how we, how we understand it. And lets us see it for what it is. It lets us know that it's, that it's temporary. It lets us know that when Jesus returns, everything is, is fixed. It lets us know that we're fighting for something. And the way we handle ourselves in our battles, I think often, is, uh, is the real battle that we face. So we're all going to face into suffering, but the way that we learn to handle ourselves in the battle can determine the outcome. That the battle shapes us and changes us and causes us to draw closer to, uh, to the king that we're aligned with. I'll read from uh, Romans. Take a little jump out of Acts as I finish this. And, uh, and read from uh, Romans. Romans chapter 5. This Paul, the Paul who was there when Stephen was stoned, the Paul who persecuted the church until Jesus like, met him and changed his life from the inside out, um, came to understand this, this, this idea of, of suffering. Because he suffered for the gospel. Paul was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was beaten. He was, he was slandered. Um, and he says this, first of all, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Yeah, we boast in the hope of, of who God is, of this life that he's called us to. But anyway, he says, not only so, uh, so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We find the glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love 
has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Suffering, perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, without that last bit, hope, like that's what the world has to offer, right? It might give you a perspective on your suffering. Well, look, just chin up, take the lessons from it. Do you know what I mean? If you don't, you either you, you, live, you, you win or you learn. Yeah, let's just, just keep moving forward. Just do it. But no, Paul roots it to something different. He roots it to, uh, to a hope. He roots it to like faith in the truth that, that Jesus is, is returning. And then, and then he latches that hope not just onto like something future, but he latches it onto a love that exists right now. He says, and hope won't put us to shame. Yeah, Hope won't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We know that this hope is sure because right now we can experience and know the love of God. P- Stephen could pray into my hands and commit your spirit because he knew that Jesus loved him and that Jesus was, was alive in him. That, 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 uh, that, that hope will never put us to shame because we know and we experience the love of of God. God loves you. Like he loves you. Whether you're in a battle or out the other side, whether you're close to him or far from him, he loves you. I spoke to um, Taddy Brown, our pastor in Lesotho this week, and uh, he's the one who pointed me towards these verses. And not even these verses, but the ones that come just after it. Mal, if you twist uh, on to the next slide. He pointed me to these. And uh, in that beautiful way that he has us speaking, he is like, I was just telling him the hard week we'd been through, and you know, just like, where is it? Like, how do we process this? What do we do? And uh, and he he said this out to me. He's like, like you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for in this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what he, what he brought out to me in that verse, man, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't ever seen it before. I got that Jesus died for me while I was a sinner, right? But here's what he was saying. He's like, God, Rob, tell your church, let, let, let everybody know that God proved his love for you in the past tense. It's been, it's been proved. So that doesn't change when you go through a good time. It doesn't change when you go through a bad time. It's, it's been done. It can't be undone. God can't unlove you. He can't unprove his love for you. See, when, when hard times come, we, we can be, feel distant and feel like, is God punishing? What's God's heart towards me? This thing was like, God's heart is unchanging. It can't change because the cross can't change. It happened. It's done. Can't be undone. God loved you then. He loves you now. And if you want to know what his heart is towards you, what we don't do is look around and see like this bad thing is happening and this stress and that stress. What we, what we don't do is look around to our circumstances. When you want to see what God's heart is towards you, you look back to just the right time, to when we were still powerless and we had nothing to offer God, that he died for us and he proved his love and that he gave his, his son for us. He didn't undo that when things started going wrong. He loved you then and, uh, and he loves you now. We can look back security to the love of Jesus. We can look forward with security to the hope of the return of our King. And because of that, we get to live in the present in his love. And that's life-changing if we get it. That, that may not stop our sufferings, but it certainly reframes them. It certainly changes how we experience them. It certainly under- changes our understanding of what's happening right in the middle of it. And that's what I'd like us to remember as we take communion together, that just at the right time, Jesus proved his love for you. Proved his love for me. We remember that his body was broken, that it cost him something. It wasn't just like he just said it. He, he, he proved it. He demonstrated his love for us.
And as we remember his body broken, as we remember his, uh, his blood poured out of tree, will you share the, the elements there? Um, I'd like us to remember that. And I'd like us to remember that we're united with each other. We don't just take communion by ourselves, yeah? It's not something you do by yourself. Why? Because we remember that it's not just about our being united with Jesus, but it's also about our being united with, uh, with one another, of that koinonia, that intentional overlapping of our lives. So as we take the bread, we remember Jesus, whose body was broken for us. And we remember those among us who are, who are broken today, yeah? Those among us who are brokenhearted, those among us who are broke financially, those among us who are, who are, who are broken in that they're sick. We remember that Jesus was broken for us, that he identifies with us. And as we take the cup, we remember that these promises that he makes to us are eternal. The promise that he makes to us were sealed with his, with his blood. Thank you. And we remember that we're assured of his love right now and we're united.